Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The question kind of took me off guard. A friend of mine asked over the phone, he said, what is the goal of your church? What is the goal of your church? I paused. Our, our goal? I mean, can we have only one? Have we articulated that? Do we know what the goal is? Are we aiming for that goal with everything that we are? Do we as a people know what that goal is? I think the premise of the question could be better put, what are the goals of your church? Because unless we're going to put everything under glorifying God, you can't reduce all that we do to one goal. Because we seek to honor and worship the Lord when we gather together. We seek to serve Jesus Christ in all that we do. We seek to, to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, to fulfill the one another's that we see in Scripture. We aim to build one another up. We aim to make disciples. So all of these things are our goals. And while the local church, many local churches may have some variation as to what is prioritized, while she have, may have many goals that she seeks to fulfill, she has but one commission, and that is to make disciples. Our overarching mission as a church of Jesus Christ is to expand the borders of the kingdom by winning souls for the king. Amen? That, that's our overarching goal, our mission. Yes, we are to equip the saints. Yes, we are to be sanctified. We are to grow in the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. But what did we hear from our Lord as the commission that he gave to the church before he ascended? We read there in Luke 24, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And then he said, you are my witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses. And brother, remember that we are called to be the witnesses of our master. We are the ones who are given the message of salvation, the commission to proclaim the gospel. God has ordained that the means by which his glorious kingdom is advanced, and it is by the bold proclamation of the gospel to all people. We may be a meager group of saints, but we have a king whose message is so powerful and so transformative that our simple task is to proclaim his word and he will conquer the souls of men. And so today I want to speak on the theme of evangelism, and I, I do so speaking, speaking of that knowing that even the very word evangelism brings trepidation to some of us. And so I simply want to remind us of our glorious calling and encourage you to be faithful with your gifts wherever you are. Because if we are ambassadors, if we are commissioned with a message to proclaim, then we cannot ignore our calling. And I, I, simp I say evangelism as opposed to missions because what I'm thinking of is everyday Christians being faithful to sow the seeds of the gospel in the spheres of influence that you have. So, so my goal today is just to put before you a reminder of the calling of, that we have as Christians to make disciples, to call sinners to repentance, to be ambassadors of the Savior. And I know that we are a church, and I'm thankful for it, that we are a church who is seeking to be evangelistic, 
And so I recognize that, but I just want to encourage us and to affirm us to continue to be more effective fishers of men. And so I want to look just briefly at this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're not there, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 9. I want to read this classic text um, of that has to do with evangelism from verses 19 to 23. This is Paul writing of his his uh, calling as an apostle and what he is seeking to do. He said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, in reading this again, as I studied for this sermon, I had to circle a word that is repeated five times in this text. And it is the word win. King James Version says gain. Same meaning, to win. Paul is speaking of how he goes about seeking to win souls. Now, think about that. Paul says he became a servant to all that he might win some. He became... As a Jew, that he might win some. He did various things in various settings for the purpose of winning souls. In fact, he says something in summarizing all that he did by saying something that I don't think any of us would say today. He, has, he says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That's not language that we find in our vocabulary. That I might save some? But you see what's happening here. This is a window into the, into the evangelist. We're getting a window into the heart of this person who, who's dis, displaying his passion for souls and saying, I want to win souls, and I'm going to do what I can do in order to save some. Now just think with me. Save. Win. Souls. Are we able to speak this way about evangelism? Are we able to think biblically, biblically as we read through this to say, I want to win souls. Does that fit into our theological framework, or does it make us feel uneasy? Because this, this kind of language has a taste of responsibility on our part. This, this language seems to indicate that we have a great impact on the salvation of lost people. And sometimes we can grimace under that type of language because it seems a bit more incumbent upon us than we would like. Win souls? I mean, isn't that antithetical to the sovereignty of God over the souls of men? Well, Paul didn't think so, and neither did Jesus. Because what do we find that Jesus said when he called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, what did he say to them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men, yes. You have to be out among the fish, seeking how you're going to bring them in. It is the best analogy he could use to, to tell them what he was going to have them do. We must seek to have people latch onto Christ to do anything we can to get them out of the sea of sin and into the boat of saving faith. 
But we also read in Proverbs 11.30, the great verse which has been a motivation for so many. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. There it is again, the idea of soul winning, the idea of going after the lost, of proclaiming the truth with the hopeful expectation that we are going to see souls saved. Now, friends, I would just ask you, is this on our minds? Is it front and center for us? Are we captivated as a church by the commission that we have been given to advance the borders of the kingdom by winning souls? Or has it in some way become an afterthought? I mean, are you and I, are we faithfully, regularly sharing the gospel with the lost? Or have we become content to be saved while others perish? Do you have some identification with Paul's passion to win souls? Are you burdened for people? Is there a love in your heart that makes you want to go after those who are the children of wrath? Because the reality is a love for God that does not lead to a love for the lost is a a feeble love. And friends, I would just say this. The church is going to make headway. Amen? The church is going to make headway. God will continue to save her people, his people, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her because they cannot prevail against her. My question is, are you aiding her advance? Are you aiding her advance? We read in verse John 5:19 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, so it does. And we're seeing that played out right before our eyes in this day. But we have a God who is powerful, so powerful, that when we open our mouths and share the gospel with people, he's pleased and eager to save sinners. His grace is powerful enough to torpedo even the strongest chains of sin. We believe this, don't we? So is it not incumbent upon all of us to do all that we can to seek the salvation of the souls that God would give us. And brethren, of course we believe and we glory in the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. We believe that he is sovereign over salvation, but we also believe that he will save according to the plan that he has made, which is the proclamation of the gospel through the lips of his redeemed people. Now, I just want us to think about our church, this church. Surely, We can see the goodness of God in bringing so many people together from various backgrounds, various uh, experiences, and some variety of giftedness and, and conviction. But do we recognize, do we recognize that this wonderful gathering of saints is not just for the purpose of continuing in our existence as such. And I ask you, could you be satisfied to be part of a church whose goal is simply to circle the wagons 
and care for ourselves without advancing the kingdom. Because I believe with all my heart that God has brought us together with all of these gifts and and strengths and weaknesses and, and various convictions for the purpose of strengthening his bride and, yes, advancing his kingdom through this church. Uh, Brother, many of you are gifted. Many of you are so able to speak truth, and you need to be encouraged to do so, to be reminded that you're called to this. So I would just ask, is your gift being used? Because we must be able to be, we must be employing our gifts to the best of our ability, to as broad of an audience as we can reach. And yes, the results are in God's hands, but we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. So brethren, for us, that means that we are going to have to be involved in the lives of people. Involved in the lives of all kinds of people whom the Lord may bring across our paths. And my encouragement would be that you are not a Christian who is so cocooned in your Christian life to the degree that you are not able to be salt and light. Don't isolate yourself in the name of comfort and ease. I mean, are we not called? Are we not called to go into all the world? And in going into the world, it is assumed that we're going to be among lost people because it is, it is the lost who need Christ. And so as we go, we want to be clear, we want to be winsome, and we want to be weighty in our presentation of the gospel and our handling of it. Clear in what we are presenting, winsome in how we go about it, but weighty in that we are sharing the true gospel not add Jesus on to your already good life type of thing. The street preacher who, who yells and screams angrily is not often approached by a hurting, needing soul. But the well-meaning Christian who, who says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you doesn't have any substance to offer the person. And so we want to... to recognize that we need the, the, the substance to offer people true saving faith by the proclamation of the gospel. Friends, this message that we have is too precious to keep to ourselves. And so all of that I just want to put before us as the great and unfinished task, which is evangelizing the lost. And so for the rest of our time, I just want to address some motivations for evangelism and look at a few methods that we might employ and then we have time, just a couple of mistakes to avoid. All right, so motivations. Motivations for evangelism. And dear friends, as I even think about that, I have lamented in my own heart my hesitation that I would need to be motivated to share this good news. I mean, why can't I, why can't we be so captivated by the good news that we cannot help but sharing it with everyone with whom we come in contact? Why is it that I need to be compelled to go compel others to come? Nonetheless, we have, we find that it's helpful to put these ancient truths before us because an airplane has to have the thrust of an engine, not just wings or it'll never fly. And Christians have to have the thrust of motivations, not just the wings of knowledge. We will never give ourselves to this task. And so the first motivation that I put before you is the glory of God. The glory of God. This must be the primary motivation for all of our evangelism. That God might receive the glory. 
that the Lamb whose blood was shed would receive his reward. And how does he receive glory? By transforming a life so convincingly that all praise and honor and glory must go to him. This is what motivated the Moravians as they went out into the world to spread the gospel, that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. And we know the passage from Malachi 1, where it says, From the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And friends, our task is not finished. His name is reviled among this nation, in this nation, and it is our calling to take the message forth and to plant the flag of Christ in every place that we can. We also read in Romans 15 that the purpose, one of the purposes for Christ becoming a servant was that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. They would glorify God. You see, that's why we share the gospel, that these sinners who would become transformed by the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would in so doing, give great glory to him and magnify God for his mercy. And so, are we jealous for the glory of God? Then we'll be jealous for the salvation of the lost. And friends, we could also argue this in prayer. We, I mean, we, we were going to go out and share the gospel with people. We can come to the Lord. Lord, you died for, these, for sinners. We are seeking to bring sinners whom you have called to you by the sharing of the gospel. And we're asking that you would get much glory in the sharing of your gospel and the saving of people for your name's sake. Our zeal for the glory of God will compel us to be his ambassadors to a lost world. Psalm 96 says this, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, and declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. That is our calling, to declare his glory among the nations. So the glory of God must be the primary motivation. But brethren, we also must take much motivation from the severity of God. You know the text there in Romans 11:22. He says, "Note then the good, the kindness and severity of God." And friends, <clears throat> we know the destiny of all men and women who reject the Savior is an eternity in hell, a place that Scripture describes as utter darkness, unquenchable fire, undying worms, weeping gnashing of teeth, isolation, darkness, and misery beyond any human comprehension. And this is the severe and just wrath of God. So one of the questions we would ask is, who is God going to throw into hell? Is it only the worst of sinners? I mean, who's really going to end up there? And I think the question is really hard. The answer, I should say, is really hard to comprehend. Have you ever read there in 1 Corinthians 16? If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. The word is damned. Let him be accursed. 
Brethren, I would just ask you, look around you. Look at the people around you, each of them. If they have no love for the Lord, if they know not Christ, their path is straight into hell. And these are the people who are going to experience the severity of God's wrath. I would just say, think about the people with whom we cross paths, the the cars that go up and down our road, the people that we see in the the grocery store or the warehouse or in, in wherever it may be. These are all people who, if they do not love the Lord, they are accursed. They are children of wrath. They are headed for an eternal destruction, and not for a period of, of days or weeks or years, but for an eternity, eternity upon eternity upon eternity of unending days. And it should make us weep, my friends, to think of the lost in this condition. I mean, what does it matter? What really does it matter if they're successful or popular or famous? What does it matter if they seem nice or they seem nasty? Do they know the Lord? That's what matters. And we need to be able to share our hope with them because the only hope is the gospel of grace that we possess. That is their only hope. And I know some of you in your own family, you have people for whom you've shed countless tears. And I just encourage you, continue to share the gospel. Keep pointing them to Christ. And until the day you die, plead with God to save them. Because we thank God that in His mercy, He's, he's, he's displayed His love for us in giving of His Son to die for wicked sinners. And while many millions of people have come to Him and been saved from their sin, Many more are rejecting their only hope of salvation. And they say they would rather face God in all his fury and all his wrath for an eternity than to bow their knees and surrender. You you read Revelation 14. You you know we see that his wrath is poured out upon those who reject his son. It says, if anyone worships the beast in its image and, and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into his cup of anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Brethren, the severity of God's judgment should loosen our lips to speak the words of life. The severity of God's judgment should pry us from our comfort and ease and send us across the street Send us to our neighbors. Send us into our towns, maybe even to other states or cities. It doesn't matter where you go, but we must go. Have you ever looked at at the, the throngs of people just wandering around in a mall or a place of business and wondered, do they know? Do they know? Has anyone told them? Have they heard that there is a Savior who can save them from their sin and rescue them from a life of eternal misery and torment? Has anyone told them? We're all but a breath away from eternity. And that, that, that should really quell the fear of man in us and help us quickly to go and speak up, as did our Lord, with boldness and clarity and say, you must be born again. So God's glory and God's severity. But then, what of God's sovereignty and the promise of success as a motivation for evangelism. 
Friends, we believe that God is sovereign over salvation, that if anybody is going to be saved, God's going to do the saving, not us. And here's the promise for the evangelist to cling to. Jesus himself gave it to us, that all that the Father has, all that the Father gives to me, will come to me. They will. And so we can go out in confidence knowing that God's people will come to the Savior because he will make them willing in the day of his power. One thing I think we as a church should fear like the plague is this this disposition of defeat regarding the gospel. I hate that. And I don't think the Lord would want us to, to see, to have such a dismal outlook about his ability to save. I don't think he would want that. Who's to say that God can't save a multitude of sinners? Are we gonna are we gonna limit God? Are we gonna say he's not able? Are we gonna say they're too wicked, too sinful, too this or too that? Are the chains of darkness too tight around anyone for God to break? Do you believe the promises of God? Friends, we read there in Matthew 22, a parable where the king sends out his servants, giving them a message. And the message is this: everything is ready. Everything is ready to come to the wedding feast. And isn't that our message? Everything is ready. A Savior has been given to us. Your sins have been atoned for. A fountain of salvation for the house of David has been opened to cleanse them from their sins. That's the message we have to give. Everything is ready. Tell the sinner who feels his sin that everything is ready. A Savior has died. Your sin is not keeping you from him. Tell the one who who thinks he is unsavable. Everything has been made ready. You need but to come to him. Jesus is ready. The cross has been established as a place where sinners are justified. Come, come. That's our message, to compel them to come. And we have the promise that all that the Father gives to me will come. This is our message. And we know that Christ will be successful because he loses no one. The fourth motivation would be our duty of love. And I'll not say much here because it stands to your own reason, friends, that if you love the lost, you're going to evangelize them. And I would just ask again, brethren, do we love lost people? Do we care about them? Do we know something of Paul's passion to see his brethren saved? Because I still am astounded at Romans 9. I mean, doesn't it amaze you? Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why, Paul? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so so sorrowful. He says, because I, I could wish myself to be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren. He loved his people so greatly that it compelled him to say something that I could never say. But then again, we see that Christ was a, was a savior who spent much time with sinners. He had a reputation of hanging out with them, not because he enjoyed their wickedness, but because he wanted to save them. So my encouragement is, be not often without the company of unbelievers. And I don't mean by that that you have them as your closest and primary friends, but we are to be the light of the world. And our duty of love will compel us to them. The last motivation is just obedience to the Lord's command. I mean, didn't our Lord say, go into all the world and make disciples? And brethren, I say again, our overarching mission of the church is to make disciples, to preach the gospel, yes, to the ends of the earth, 
But we begin here, where we are, and work where the Lord has given us opportunity. Please don't overlook this commission and command or pass it off quickly because you're not a missionary or a pastor or whatever. Yes, we want to send people to the furthest and most remote places on earth, but we're all here and we can be very effective with spreading the gospel where we are. You don't need to have a degree in theology or to have some kind of understanding of in-depth apologetics or to have a long list of experiences. All you need is the command of Christ, a willing heart, and a clear message. And you can proclaim the gospel. We're all called to this, brethren. We're all called to it. None of us can be a bystander. We all have a part. We all have a part to play. And we want to be faithful to that calling. Obeying the command to compel them to come. Again, Luke 14. Sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. He sent his servants out to tell them to come. But still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Brethren, there's still room in the house. There's, there's still room in the house. We want to be looking in the highways and hedges in our neighborhoods. Notice the people that you pass in, in the shopping aisle or wherever it may be to sow the good news in a sentence and let the Lord water it in their hearts and minds. This is our calling. A Christian man one day was walking down the street and he walked up to a total stranger and he said, Sir, are you a Christian? The man looked at him and said, You mind your own business. The Christian brother said, This is my business. And this, this is our business, friend. This is what we have been called to. The salvation of the lost is precisely our business to take the gospel to them. So there's some motivations for us. Let's think briefly about some methods of evangelism. I go back to Paul's words. He said that by all means I might save some. His aim is to win souls. And now that's not going to happen accidentally. One doesn't accidentally win anything. And so we want to be strategic in our effort to win souls. And I think we as a church need to think through our opportunities. We need to consider our gifts Consider our resources and consider the opportunities that the Lord would have for us. And all of these things for the purpose of winning souls. Friends, you know this. You know that most churches are not naturally evangelistic. If they're not intentional about it, it doesn't happen. And so we're going to have to plan. We're going to have to think and, yes, even strategize for how the gospel is going to be taken to the world through us. So you think about the words used. Go. Go into all the world. Or, or compel compel them to come, or the metaphor of being fishers of men, or Paul saying, win souls. These are all ideas, words used to communicate the idea of intentionality, right? And so you read back there in Acts 17 where, where the, the, uh, Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, and they began preaching, and the Jews were jealous, and they became a, a big uproar. And they went to the, to the men in authority and said, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
They didn't turn the world upside down just accidentally. They were going about their business very strategically. They were intentional about how they were going to do what they were doing. So as a, as a people, I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. How can, how can I use my gifts and my place and my abilities and my opportunities to share the gospel? I just want to give you a few quick things as a church that we should be thinking about. One, prison. Think. I mean, what, think about the many people in our land who are locked up and going nowhere at all, and they have nothing really to do, right? Now, many of them are getting a wake-up call to the world we are living in, and maybe they would be open to hearing the good news. Others are not that affected by being arrested and put in, in prison, and maybe they don't want to give us a hearing. But where are they going to go? And maybe we as a people, we need to think about this, that we would have ample motivation to go to these places and to share the gospel. And some of you are very suited to do that. And I think there would be opportunity for us to do that. And if they're, if they're willing to give us a hearing, brethren, hasn't God gathered them all together for some reason? Maybe it is to save some of them. Another place is, is a retirement home. Now just think, people there are old, they're lonely, and they want to talk. You can take your family there and visit them with your Bible and just ask if they know the gospel. Ask if anyone has shared the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with them and see if they would be at least give you a hearing. Where are they going to go? And I don't say that with disrespect. They, they, they're looking for interaction. What about your town? You might think it's too radical a thing to walk up and down your street and, and engage people, and maybe that's something that, that is beyond your ability. But I put before you that if you're living in a place where there's many people interacting, maybe you can, you can at least develop some kind of, of habit where you would engage someone regularly to share the gospel. Or the Internet. The internet is such a detrimental tool and has been used by our enemy to take so many people captive. Captive, So many people are addicted to the internet and they use their spare time online. And there's, But brethren, there's good uses to that tool as well. I mean, think about how we can use that to get helpful resources into the hands of people. I mean, isn't it more important for people to know something about the brevity of life and what you had for breakfast? I mean, it's not, it's not that you have to put everything about the Bible on your social media. I'm just saying we want to use everything, the glory of God, and to share the good news. Even, even it's interesting to me that some of our messages from, from Pastor Chuck have made their way into other countries. And then we have connections in other countries because of a tool that relatively recently, until relatively recently, wasn't available to us. So we want to think about that. And brethren, we also need to think about foreign missions what how can we how can we avoid we we have to recognize that the need is so great and we can't be misled that there's only a small portion of the world to focus on and so it seems doable what we are seeing is a greater and greater need and a greater and greater depreciation or or uh, there's there's a much less involvement for new missionaries. And I say that just because my uncle is, is uh, a teacher at one of the main sending agencies, training center, and he has told me year after year, less and less missionaries are coming. 
less and less. The, the nations and the people, brethren, are not going to be won to Christ by showing a movie and asking them to pray a prayer. They're not going to be won to Christ by flying a plane over and dumping tracks on them. None of that's going to work. They're only going to be brought to Christ by someone going to them and living with them and proclaiming the gospel to them just as Christ did to us. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and someone needs to go. And I would pray that if the Lord would give us Raise up missionaries among us so that we can send them out. I know we're, we're supporting missionaries and we want to continue to do that. But may the Lord use people in this church to take them, take them the gospel. That's why Jim Elliott and all his, his co-workers died because they knew that they, if they were going to reach those people, it wasn't going to be through a text message. They are going to have to make contact with them. They are going to have to live among them. And they died. But then again, the harvest was plentiful. I know the mission field needs young people, but there is also a great need for seasoned and experienced people, preachers and teachers who can, who can share the word and preach the word and equip and teach the saints. So maybe some would believe Christ. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then we would go into the mission field. So these are <clears throat> just a few methods for us to, to consider. And just briefly, I want to give a few mistakes to avoid. Because there are mistakes that we can make. There are dangers to avoid, warnings that must be given in order to consider as we think about evangelizing people. So, some might have great excitement for this and they feel like this is their calling and they go out with their hair on fire and they, they offend people needlessly. Others may have great trepidation about sharing the gospel and so we need encouragements. Um, but I just want to give a few mistakes to avoid. And the first one is this. Do not make the door of the kingdom wider or narrower than Scripture does. In our zeal to see people saved, we cannot be tempted to widen the old gate that has been forever fixed by the two posts of repentance and faith. Because it is upon these two hinges that she opens her doors to the sinner and nothing else. Then again, nothing more. So where there is not repentance from sin and faith in Christ, there is no new life. And any amount of manipulation or coercion will not change it. So we don't want to offer free or cheap grace to people in an attempt to push them through the narrow gate. Neither, friends, should we make it more difficult than Scripture does by seeking to make them adhere to every conceivable doctrine that we can think of before we would give or have them... Run to Christ for, and find assurance of faith. <clears throat> so I just remind us not to change the fixed points of the gospel. Repentance from sin and faith in Christ is the evidence of saving faith. But then secondly, <clears throat> do not be ruled by results. Do not be ruled by results. If you are faithful to share Christ, you may find a great harvest or you may find that your calling is simply to sow seeds. But however it turns out, please do not, ref just do not be discouraged if you don't find people falling on their faces in repentance. Because outside of the Great Awakenings and a few other times, people don't usually come to Christ in massive numbers. They come slowly. They come as, as people are faithful to share the gospel. And we trust that the Spirit can pour out His blessing upon the ministry at any time. But what we're going to find, friends, <clears throat> is that Idolaters still want their idolatry. 
Covetous people are still going to choose things over Christ. Homosexuals are going to choose their perversion over Christ. The sexually permissive would much rather have their own perversion than they would Christ. And we're going to find that. Because in their lostness, in their lostness they're not all that interested in having someone else tell them how to live. But while so many will reject the gospel, you will find that God has prepared some to hear the gospel and to be brought to saving faith. And so we don't want to be ruled by results. We want to be faithful. Another mistake is don't look at people as they are. Look at them with a view to the grace of God. We sang in the opening song this line, His blood can make the foulest clean. You believe that? So we want to share the gospel with the most unlikely prospects we know because it does seem that God delights in saving the worst of sinners and we should be advocates of the gospel of grace to anyone who would give us a hearing from the kindest lost person to the most perverse and hard-hearted person you know. The fourth mistake, don't expect to see God save people if we're not engaged in using the means he has given us to spread the gospel. We might be tempted to throw our hands up and say, you know, it's, nothing's happening. But I would ask you, are you being faithful to share the gospel? God does not save people in a vacuum. He saves people through, by hearing through faith. And if this faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, then we want to be sharing the gospel. So we want to be, we don't want to be um, loosely associated with evangelism. It's our commission to fulfill his calling. And lastly, friends, don't be ruled by the fear of man. And that can be overcome to some degree by realizing that the souls of men and women are of far greater value than anything in the world, including your comfort, including your reputation, including any hindrance that may be in your way. We want to have Paul's attitude where he said, I want to become all things to all people that by all means, by all means, I might save some. So what sacrifice is too great? What measure of self-denial is too difficult when we think of the supreme value of the souls of men? Brethren, I just close with Luke 10, 2 where Christ said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. My encouragement, friends, is exactly that, to be laborers in his harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful, whether we see it or not. The Lord has his people. May we be encouraged and motivated to be ambassadors for our Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we rejoice that we <clears throat> have received this good news. We've heard the gospel. We've 
believed upon you and you've called us your children. Please give us, Lord, eyes to see those around us. Give us ample motivation to loosen our lips and share the good news of the gospel. And please keep us, Lord, from those things which so often trip us up, the fear of man, the doubts we have of the effectiveness or the success of the gospel. Oh, keep us from that and make us your ambassadors. We pray in Christ's name.